The Myths of Selling to the Government If you're using traditional sales techniques to sell to government, you're doing it wrong. The podcast is brought to you by Government Selling Solutions. Government Selling Solutions, selling and marketing to the government for years, quite successfully, thank you. Now, here's Rick. Well, welcome back. And before we get started, just let me thank you for your comments, your shares, your likes, and your Zoom meeting request. They really keep us going. Now, when you hear us and other folks talk about longer sales cycles and more complexity in government sales, believe us, yes, selling to the government can be lucrative, but it's not easy. In fact, to get a government contract, you really have to sell it twice. In the business-to-business world, convince the end user that you can remedy their pain or build their business, and chances are good the procurement process won't really take that long. Not true in the government world. No, 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 as my granddaughter would say. (laughs) We found an expert on such things. Someone who has served as a government contracting officer has sold to the government, and one who now teaches and consults on government contracting. His name is Kevin Jans of the company Skyway Acquisition. Kevin says when he was a contracting officer for the Air Force, he thought sellers understood how much work was involved in selling to government. Lack of awareness of how much time those could take is the thing that I see that frustrates salespeople ruthlessly because they're saying, why is the contracting officer taking so long? And it's not because they like to torture salespeople. It's because there's a process that you might not have known about. It, it just takes longer relative to, to what the, the B2B uh, timeline is. There's a reason it takes so much longer. There's a big difference between I want this item and I've decided to buy it from company X and being able to actually do so. Whereas we as just buying on our own, or even if as, as in a business to business environment, the process may not be as robust. Whereas in government, it's, yes, it's very robust. In other words, you can convince the government end user that you're the right vendor for solving their problem. That's the technical side, but you've only just begun. If I'm selling to a business, and, and the CEO, the leadership, the, all the, the users really want our consulting and training, for example. And then they hand it to the procurement folks to negotiate a contract with us. I would argue the sale is probably 90% done because we're, we're we, from that strata, that, that let, we'll call it a timeline from they have no idea who we are all the way to buying a contract from us. By the time you get that technical sale done in a business to business sale, you're 90% of the way there. And the government, you may only be 50% of the way there. That's because you've completed only the first piece of the equation, the technical sale. Then there's the business sale, where there's a whole other gauntlet to go through. The technical sale is getting the customer to say yes. Like that, as the seller, you've gotten them to say yes. The business sale is turning that yes into a contract, right? So the biggest difference is the players. Who, who is responsible? When you and I go to buy a car at the local dealership, we're all three deciders. We're the person with the money, we're the person who wants the car, and we have the ability to sign the contract. In government and in large acquisitions in, in, in general, you're not the same person. So that's the single biggest difference is if you think that the person who wants the stuff is the same one who can approve the purchase of the stuff, they're not. And in government, they don't even work for each other. 
Aha! That's one of the biggest reasons it takes so long to win a government contract. In government, you have to sell it twice. Once, the technical sale, where you convince the people with the problem that you can help them. Then the business sale, where you convince the contracting side that you're the best fit for their oh-so-complex procurement maze. The government contracting folks have their own considerations, says the former contracting officer. We're still going to buy it, but we're going to buy it over here. We're going to buy it in a way that you as the seller might not even know about. Like it gets moved to a different contract, or I decide to modify an existing contract and add the work to that contract, and I don't even publish that. You don't even know that it happened. But that's the biggest difference is understanding that the contracting officer doesn't work for the customer, and that can can be a very difficult scenario <laughs> to get through as a, as a, as a government user. They'll also say the contracting officer can be a roadblock. That's why. So what do you do? First thing is understand what the process could be. Like what, what could the acquisition process be? And the easiest way is to look at how was it done last time, right? The second thing to do is to educate your, your customer, the, the, the user, the government user who wants to buy from you, help them understand what process could be used. And then, because they might not know, they often don't know. They often don't realize how long it takes. Um, for example, I would doing a sole source contract, which made complete sense. I had to write a justification and approval. Technically, the, the, the regulations say that I write it as a contracting officer, but I'm getting all of the elements of the telephone game, right? If you're expecting him to come up with a, a way to say this that the contracting officer can, can understand in, in its engineering language, that's a big risk. Whereas if you can influence it, it's going to be much more effective. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing, I think you and I talk about this a lot, it, you got to start earlier. By the time the RFP has come out, we, we, we talk about the, we'll have another topic about this, we call about the acquisition time zones. There's four zones that every acquisition goes through. Requirement zone, market research zone, RFP zone, and selection zone. And the basic way to think of that is, again, we go back to buying a car. Write your requirement, who are you going to buy it from, get some price quotes, and make a decision. Right? Those, those four steps are there. By the time the RFP drops, that's the third zone. So by the time that opportunity to, comes up of, hey, I get to respond to this. There are two entire zones that have happened. There's all of the requirement elements that have been figured out. There's all, the whole acquisition strategy that was built during the market research zone. So start earlier. A lot of people ask me, as I go through this process, should I be talking with the contracting officer, the Kevins of the world? Well, it depends on where you are in the process. During the requirements zone, where the requirement's not quite mapped out yet, as a contracting officer, I don't have a requirement. I don't have any funding. So if the requirement's still being developed, it's probably too early to talk to the contracting officer. Again, if you come across them, that's fine. But don't expect them to be able to tell you, how do you think you're going to buy this? And I'm thinking, I don't even know if it's a commercial item yet. I don't know if we have a contract for it. Like all these questions are going into my head and so I'm going to be defensive because I'm like, I, I don't know. And then my fear, whether it's, it's valid or not, my fear is whatever I say to you, you're going to come back and, and repeat to me you know, six months from now. So I'm, I'm literally talking to you during the requirement zone. However, during the market research zone, the market research zone is defined as we have enough of a requirement to think about how are we going to buy this? Now is a good time to be talking to the contracting officer. Now, when you start to see things like the formal answer to this is when you see a request for information, you know you're in, the, you're in the market research zone because they're trying to decide how to buy this. 
So at that point, you shouldn't be concerned about talking to a contracting officer or anybody in contracting because they're trying to understand what can industry do. Now, the nuance of how you do that and what you say and, and whether, like, for example, if you're just going to send them marketing material, they can get that off your website. But if you can give them an answer, like an RFI response that tells them, if you acquire it this way, here's what's going to happen. This is a commercial item because, and then I can copy and paste that into my commercial item determination, then I'm going to listen to you because that's what I care about. That's my part of this role is to be able to say, how are we going to buy this? I can't say at the end of two months to my customer, I, I wasn't able to figure out how to buy it. Sorry, we have to wait two more months because he or she needs it. <laughs> it's like they're, they, they see my process as, as a means to an end. They're like, I'm only enduring this acquisition process so I can get my stuff. That's how they see it. But for me, it's, it's what I do. I got to make sure I do it right the first time. Good stuff. Thanks, Kevin Jans of Skyway Acquisition. You can check out Kevin's podcast, appropriately called the Contracting Officer Podcast, or reach out to me and I'll make sure you get in touch. Kevin's company, Skyway Acquisition, is more focused on the business side than our company, Government Selling Solutions. We focus more on the technical side, getting end users to really want a particular product or service. If you'd like to talk about it, set up a Zoom through the GovSelling.com website. And thanks for listening. Today's episode has been brought to you by Government Selling Solutions. Government Selling Solutions. Getting government sold.